Hello, welcome back to the Beat Motel podcast. I'm here with the best human being in the world, other than my wife. Who's doing a dance, which really doesn't translate on a podcast. Go on, <laughs> hello, host. I was waiting for you to introduce your daughter, but... Oh, crap, yeah, sorry. Third best, <laughs> third best human being. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, yeah, Sam and I are both both a bit tired uh, and emotional today, which uh, makes it a good time to, to talk about music, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do we so, start, then? Well, let's start with the, the riff of the episode, because we've each got one of those. So okay, great. To cool. kind of perk us up a bit here, I'm gonna gonna start with your riff of the week. And it's <laughs> when you sent me the name of the band, I just popped into a, a meeting with with uh, one of my one of my <laughs> team. And I just they came on there like, Why are you laughing? I said, This band and what they called? Squid pisser. Squid pisser. <laughs> Squid pisser. I mean, what a char- what just what a brilliant word to say. It's just it's a joyful <laughs> thing. So, let now listeners, uh, you, you may be wondering what squid pisser sound like. Um, well, what's the name of the song? It's called Liquefied oh, uh, Remains. Liquefied Remains. Yeah. Okay, let's have a blast of this. As usual with the Beat Motel podcast, we can only play you up to thirty seconds. So here we go. There is so much going on there. <laughs> How joyful is that? What, what joyful noise. That's only the second time I heard it. The first time being when I was lining up the clip to, to play it on here. There is a lot of levels of things going on in there, isn't there? Yeah, and and I really like the... Uh, I, it's this a section of grindcore. There's like... it's a, In my head, there's like three versions of grindcore. The, but there's the sort of the metal version, and then there's the punky version. And the punky version has this as an area in America, this sort of what they call the locust. And this is sort of this. This is actually on the guy, one of the the guy who I think the bassist of the locust. Uh, it's on his record label one three one G one three. I can't remember what it's called. Um, good, well, well, really, really well uh, researched podcast. Um, but um, yeah, it just. The, the just the way it, that's opening the album as well and it just sort of continues there and it's just sort of a blitz of ideas and Do you, say, you say it's called white lotus no the lotus the lotus yeah. oh, because the, not the lotus the locust i bad, I, bad pronunciations bad pronunciation i just paused because there's a, a noise podcast that I listen to sometimes, and I thought it was that, but it's not. It's called White Centipede, um, but again, that's no of no use at all. So how did how did you discover Squid Pisser? Well, as I said, it's, it was, um, I, I follow the the record label on Instagram, the one social media platform I'm still on because hmm. I like pictures, and um, and he just sort of posted as like that's the new thing they were posting, putting out. And I went, 
And he does, he sort of, he, he puts out enough interesting music that I will just sort of give things a listen. Um, and that just went, yeah, that's fucking insane. And I love the, it's, it's to me, it's sort of that use of electronics, that use of keyboard um, mm. that gives it a new, a, like a further dynamic. It's not sort of saying that without it, it's, it's lack, it would lack something, but with it, it certainly sort of is a, a really different approach to um, so, uh, grindcore. Um, I think that that kind of synth or sort of electronica stuff with metal is, it goes one of two ways. Either fills it out and makes it thicker, which must be yeah. a hell of a thing to mix in the studio. So I'm thinking mostly about like mellow death bands where you sort of aware there's a synth there, but it's just flattening things out. Or there's that kind of approach, which is um, add some squeaky stuff up top. I, you, you told me who, who famously said that to Public Image Limited, you want to add some screechy stuff on the top. Famous Miles Trump Davis. There. That's it, Miles Davis. So it does that. But both of the, both of the methods... When you see a synth player or someone with electronics on stage at a metal gig, you can never hear them. No. You sort of know they're there, but you never, ever hear them. That, that happens, apart from bands where the, the keyboard or the synth is, is primary instrument, you never hear them. I can remember, I think you and I both saw Against Me at the Garage, and it was only about oh, yeah. two or three songs into the set, <coughs> I realized they had a keyboard player. I'm like, well, what's he doing? Because you can't hear anything. It's just, it's just there. I just always thought, thought it was odd that keyboards and synths and stuff you, just never cut through. You know, unless that was the point they really sold out. Fucking keyboard player. <laughs> that, that is a sound. That's a warning sign for me. It's I've seen it before with, I love placebo when they started. I love the simplicity of the guitar. Brian Maloko's guitar, which he is not a, he doesn't just play straight up kind of normal guitar riffing. It's quite interesting the way he plays. And the bassist was a bit like the bassist from Dinosaur Junior, just sort of really crunchy, grinding it out, providing all the drive, the rhythm, and then the drummers uh, doing drummer stuff. So I saw them at Reading Festival one year and I was like, brilliant, looking forward to seeing Placebo. And they had loads of session musicians stood right at the back of the stage. And I just thought, oh, come on. That's no good. I so I, I I never really like it when they don't invite the the session musicians to be just be part of the band. If you need them there to fill out that sound, they're part of the band, hmm. in my opinion. And you know, it's this sort of this illusion of music. If you're if it's it's this a want to create this illusion, but still, if you can see them, what's the point of them being at the back of the stage? Let them have a bit of the glory as well. Um, but also that first placebo album, the drummer is insane. The second they, one, they, they just lose something. They go to sort of like the drummer is still a good drummer, but it just doesn't have that energy. Different person. They they yeah. sacked the the original drummer. They sacked him literally just after they'd recorded that first album, which uh, I think it was just you know falling out or something like that. But I'm, I'm with you. The drumming on that first album, it's just it's just great. It, they, they were one of those bands. Occasionally, a band comes along. That sounds like they've come from outer space. Mm. You know, they are different enough that you just kind of go, "Wow!" And even if you don't like them, you kind of acknowledge that they are kind of doing something, something quite special. I once wrote a really yeah. bad review for them when I was doing when Beat Motel was a paper zine because they sent me an album that they'd recorded. Record, you know, they're putting out an album, and the press release had the usual little bit of blurb, but then it had this massive letter that basically said, "This is digitally watermarked." 
you put this online anywhere, or if you send this to anyone, we will find you and we will prosecute you. And if there was more stuff about being prosecuted by placebo in the in the press release than there was actually about the band. And they were independently releasing things by then. So I just thought, well, where's it coming from? If I was getting you know, a, a release from Warner Brothers or something, I'd go, yeah, whatever. And of course, you're, you're going to be like that. It brings you. It brings you back. I mean, I remember when I was. I can't remember wh- who I was writing for, but I I wrote a, such a rude anonymous email to a record label because <laughs> they uh, it was a it was Century Media who are uh, specialised in sort of glossy metal. Glossy and metal. They um, they put. I got. I got uh, when I was writing. I got this uh, promo sent to me. I was supposed to review this album. And every ten seconds, this album on this album is a voice saying this is copyrighted material because they were so what? desperate. So the only way I could actually, what is really crazy was that the only way that I could actually sit down and listen to the album without going mad was to then find and download the album or <laughs> the, the illegal pirated version. Yeah, because. <laughs> I, and they sort of forced me to do that because the fucking it was impossible to review. I mean, well, the review would have just been, I don't know what this album sounds like because it is a copyrighted piece of material and I can't listen to more than 10 or 20 seconds of it without it being interrupted. That's just, that's so insane. I mean, you, you were writing for Terrorizer, so you, you couldn't just, you know, you, you couldn't think, be quite as punk rock about this it. was for, yeah. But with, with, you know, the beat motel zine if, if a band were to have sent me something like that i would just write in the review I, it's unlistenable because of this yeah but you know i didn't have to worry about upsetting any advertisers in fact the only only people who only who ever advertised and paid in beat motel were fat wreck <laughs> they they would like willingly buy advertising in anyone's zine which i always thought was just cool as shit brilliant that was when i guess that was when they had money to to support the scene and throw around and because they yeah because they used I, to send. I guess they're not what they were. They never did it to me, but my friend, um, a friend guy called Wolfie, who was in Stupids, Fat Mike used to write him letters, and occasionally would send him a box of when they put out like on the Fat Wreck compilation. They'd send they'd send Wolfie a box and say, you know, here, here's a bunch of CDs to, for you to give to your friends. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's it's kind of marketing clearly, but it's still pretty cool. Yeah. It's still a nice but thing. It's like a DIY attitude to, towards it and one that is based around ingratiating yourself. And I think, and then this is, sounds cynical, but I actually think it's quite, it's good that they, you know, ingratiate yourself to the scene that you're benefiting from rather than, <laughs> rather than sort of trying to make everybody pay for everything. They also did that cool, I was, them and Epitaph, used to do that really cool thing on there and this is real you know i can't remember where this started it certainly started in some american punk rock scene but they you know don't buy don't don't pay more than this for this record that was crass or someone that did that Uh, originally was it oh i think so i could be wrong but yeah no that yeah i can remember seeing no effects and but then they released that split with rancid which was an ep and was about eight quid <laughs> and everyone kind of got really shirty about it i'm guessing oh, that went I out liked, through... no i liked that one that was i liked uh it sort of felt like no effects taking the piss of it out of rancid in a very loving way 
there was around that time there was a few splits like that that I really liked. My favourite one. It was a whole I, series, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't realise that because the, the one I really liked was Leftover Crack and um, Citizen Fish. So you got kind of Citizen Fish. So the you know the subhumans Dick from the subhumans his kind of scar like Traveller Community Scar Band. I don't know how else to describe it really. And then Leftover Crack being Leftover Crack, and it was just. It sort of made so much sense, even though both bands were so different. And the interesting thing is that Citizen Fish covered one of Leftover Crack songs, as as was the style at the time. And Citizen's Fish version is so much better. It's so <laughs> much more listenable, so much more enjoyable. This is it. It was a series. Well, I don't. I think that's a different from a different series. But uh, the Rancid No Effects one was from a. Record label BYO Records. Ah, um, yes. A split series they did over nineteen in nineteen ninety nine two thousand two. So you have Leatherface and Hot Water Music first one, Swinging Utters and Youth Brigade second, No Effects Rancid, uh, Bouncing Souls and Anti Flag, Alkaline Trio and One Man Army. Yeah, there's some fairly big names there, aren't there? That's that's, yeah. that's quite a decent thing. Anyway, we've only we're thirteen minutes in and we've only got as far as your riff of the week, so. Let's go for your riff of the week. Okay, here's my riff of the week. Here we go. Shall I say who it is? Afterwards. Afterwards. Okay, I've got to find it. Well, what have I done Anticipation. With it? Mm, okay, I think this is it. <laughs> There you go. So that was, I was going to say, do you want to guess, but metal's so vast that it, it would probably not go on. Dab a guess anyway, just for fun. Oh, I, I recognise it. Some I recognise parts of it, but no, I'm not going to risk okay. it this time. I wondered if you might say Meshuggah. It's not Meshuggah. No. But that, that would have been a fair guess because that, that is the middle eight from a song. It's too called much just- melody from Meshuggah. Fair enough. Uh, it's from a, a track called "Just a Cigarette" by a band called Decapitated. Ah, uh, yeah, cho- yeah, yeah, yeah. I chose it because that I'm such a sucker for anything rhythm more than melody generally for me in music, and that just lovely tight little meandering, speeding up, slowing down bit with just the the sort of gently noodling guitar over the top. That is absolutely my kind of thing, and what mm-hmm. I like about it. Obviously, we can only play thirty seconds, but that is the only part like that on the album. So it's not like they've got this really cool riff or riff type or riff idea that they then just reuse and reuse and reuse. I mean, I, I like Meshuggah, but they are <laughs> they are a thing. You know what you're yep. getting. <laughs> you yep. put on Meshuggah, right, it's going to be eight or nine tracks of this, whereas yep. De- Decapitated just I'm sort of... I always thought it's a real... It's a real cocky move or a real confident move just to chuck something like that in just one song go yeah we can do this we've got this up <laughs> our sleeves you know we're fine with this um it's yeah it's a nice it's a really nice moment a nice moment i like right. i mean I, I sometimes I, I sometimes i was listening to 
I tried to listen to the new album by Cattle, Cattle Decapitated, which was a great album. <laughs> That's such a great band name. name. And, like, uh, I realised it's not a good idea to buy T-shirts like that for a few years um, when I have a three-year-old. Um, who's only started to sort of point out my T-shirts now, and I feel a bit bad about some of them. <laughs> um, but... Uh, it's just this sort of blur of music, um, and this will, you know, this will get me back to. I don't, I, you know. Sometimes I think so much modern metal. I mean, it sounds great the first few seconds, anyway. Um, but it is this sort of blur, and it's sort of hard to sometimes find breath in modern metal productions and uh, song structures. And moments like that obviously sort of make your ears just go, oh. That's a different thing. Oh, that's good. Because... Yeah, it, it's it's yeah, space. Space in music yeah. is 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 oft un, underused. I think you told me years ago that it was the introduction of space that really made System of a Down pop and really work. You said Rick Rubin, the second album, actually encouraged them to actually put little bits of space in. <laughs> Sam shaking his me. head. That wasn't yeah, it might I be don't... Lawrence. A contra- controversial take. I don't like toxic- toxicity very much. No, see, no, most people. I... Go on, you're shaking your head. Is is there a system of down that you prefer more? Oh, I think memorize and hypnotize are masterpieces. Absolute total masterpieces. I love the first album. The first album I played to death. That was sort of the best thing about new metal ever. Was that first system of down album, and then I left. And I got toxicity, and I just thought it was a ref- it, fair enough. It's a refinement, but it wasn't actually much of an advance on the first album. I didn't think. And then, yeah, my uh, my friend Lawrence, our friend Lawrence, told me, you know, he got he was banging on about memorize, hypnotize, and I don't like the guitarist's voice that much, but that dual vocal just adds so much to the actual songwriting and the, you know. Um, yeah, his voice is grating. Fair enough, it is a bad voice, um, really. Compared, particularly compared to like someone like Serge Tankian. But at the same time, it just their progginess and the uh, memorized hypnotized albums just adds so much more to the sound. I, I think there are watch. professional opera singers who don't sound as good as Serge Tankian. <laughs> you, uh. you can't. Is basically him and we ought to do an episode on this, but I think we've had this conversation before privately. I think it's him, Freddie Mercury, and possibly Mike Patton are like the holy trinity of vocal of male vocalists. Yeah, I mean, again, weirdly, I I think Mike Patton, I think he's amazing, but I also just nothing he's done has completely ever totally clicks with me. Um, I really like. I really like some of his. Uh, what are they called? Um, it's his grindcore band. I really liked the, the. They did a calendar album, and it's fantastic. It's hilariously crazy. It's sort of cartoon grindcore, um, and that's an amazing thing. But I don't know. It's just like the vocals are too perfect. It's too controlled. Okay. So you like a bit of roughness. I like a bit of roughness. Which, like do you know it. what? 
that nicely leads us on to the theme for this podcast. Mm. So Sam and I have been discussing themes and we came up with an idea. It sort of evolved and, and I think we're going to come at it from slightly different angles, but it was around production and bands. Bands that had either let themselves down with poor production or perhaps they've overreached a bit and really tried to push the envelope too far. Would that be a fair description, Sam? Yes, I think that's a good description, yeah. So I've struggled a bit with my picks because a lot of the music I like tends to be quite well produced and not overproduced. Now, I think that might be because I I reject horrible, squeaky production. It it naturally puts puts me off a band. Um, I was talking to, to my wife about trying to come up with examples, and she said, Biffy Clyro, you know, she really likes Biffy Clyro. I'm not the biggest fan, despite the fact I've seen them, God knows how many times at festivals. <laughs> but when they signed to Sony, she said, all the guts just drops out of the music. Oh, yeah, it just it just becomes too clean. And I'm going to have to say something negative about Against Me. I think the same thing happened on their Sire albums. <sighs> yeah. I, 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 love, thought... I love them. I, I really, really do love them. But I... that Butch Big production, just it's just too tidy. The for me, the I've learned. I now really, really love New Wave. I've mm. never completely loved uh, White Crosses. Um, I really New Wave has sort of grown on me exponentially, and I sort of think that yeah, they put out the first four albums they put out were just astonishing. But I'm with you. Like the the first time I listened to it, I thought there was something lacking compared to all the other stuff, even. Versus, you know, even um, reinventing Axl Rose, there's something, if you just sort of suspend your disbelief at how bad it sounds, there's something so contagious about the energy around it. Whereas they sort of, it felt like it was, they were slowing down. And then I felt like with, yeah, the last two albums, I actually think are really, I really like the energy of it, it, it sort of came back sort of full-on energy again. I, I, we, lovely trajectory which of Against Me, which we've discussed before, but the first album, especially with Lord Jane Grace's vocals, it is, it's in tune, but it's yelling. It is yeah. proper screaming. Well, not screamo, but, you know, it's, it's guttural shouting, <laughs> basically. And I think within the space of four or five albums to go from that to the Butch Big vocal production, which to me at the time, I just thought... They're doing hair metal. I couldn't see the vocals as being anything other than hair metal, the way they, they were layered and, and amazing, you know, very clever production. But I was like, it's not it's not someone shouting in the basement anymore. Yeah, and also that was that was the other thing that, that I thought they pulled back James Bowman's vocals far too much. Mm. He's such oh, yeah. a his, a huge his backing vocals voice. are such a big sort of point of second two albums. But I I mean uh and I guess the first album as well, and then they've come back since. But that that moment, those those two albums with Butch Vig, or that first album with Butch Vig, was just, you know, where where where's James? Because he sounds so like that trade was such a distinct point of them, and mm. it sort of, you know, it's sort of like there was a point where he always stopped. I always felt James's presence always stopped it becoming a solo thing, and I can't. I have nothing against Laura Jane Grace's sort of solo material. It, some of it's 
I think amazing and other stuff I, just passes me by a bit. But, you know, that's here and there. But for against me, it was always, uh, as they sort of changed members, it was James that stopped it becoming a solo project. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really, he's so sort of important in that in that sense. Yeah, we, we're in danger of having enough against material, against me chat to do an edit of this podcast and it just be against <laughs> me podcast. Um, so let's move on to your first pick. So your first pick I have here, um, <laughs> is the song's called Rotten Sound? Or is the band oh, called yes. Rotten Sound? The band's called Rotten Sound. Oh, right. Okay, well, that, that seems like a, a little bit on the nose for a, for a podcast episode about about production but so the the band's called rotten sound and the song is called green let's have a blast of this there's always a slight delay when i click the button because um i don't know i'm not very good at clipping stuff i guess Whoa! <laughs> right. If, if you can tell me what the riff or the riffs were in that thirty-second clip, I'll buy you lunch. There were riffs. Yeah, because all you can hear are the vocals and which is just a that's so much metal uses that that kind of that riff. Yeah. I might have just been hearing it in the mud. Obviously, um, that's the MP3 version because the way I've ripped it from um, from Tinterwebs. It doesn't but, sound better. That's the problem. Is that that album? And there was a there was a. There seemed to be a point where extreme metal went through this real phase of drummer mixes. Mm. And it's the fine. There's a lot of power in the drummer, but if you're all the power, if you if you're killing the riff, what's the fucking point? You're just listening to the same drum pattern over again, again particularly in grindcore. Do you know what? There's there's a perfect middle ground somewhere between that. And Meshuggah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because you know I mean? Meshuggah hits the, the whole fantasticalness. Uh, songs like Bleed is just how tight the bass, the guitar, and the drums yeah. are together. But, but, with, <laughs> but with the last the last Rotten Sound album, to be completely, it's my favorite Rotten Sound album because it's the sounds the best. You never lose the riff. You never lose the riff. Whereas it's just like someone just took that. You don't need to do much. Just take the drums down to make sure you can actually hear the fucking riff. I think <laughs> one of the things that happened is that drums became much easier to record well, mm. just through changes in studio technology. And it took a while for guitar to catch up. I mean, I if I record guitar now on, on some of the heavier stuff I, I make, I'm not even using an amp. I mean, controversially, I'm just using software because I can't afford to, to go into a studio and I think I'll probably be terrified at the prospect of actually playing guitar in front of an engineer and I'll do it with bass, no trouble but guitar, it sort of took a while to catch up so I think there, there was a while when, yeah, drums you could suddenly record very very well and guitars just, it just wasn't there. So you're saying that, that Rotten Sound, they, they switched their production or 
Yeah, last last album I just think is a lot better, and maybe they have other albums from that the same era. That was from from the point I think they were sort of the biggest they got, which was the early two thousands. Um, and it's just you know it's that other point of pig, uh, squid pisser. It's like I, with squid pisser, it's hard to keep up with the, what the riff is, mm. but you can hear it. Whereas it's this, there. you can't. Yeah, right. exactly. Whereas rotten sand, uh, you just I just could not tell you what it, the riff is, and and I sort of feel like what's well, and I'm so, yeah, I want to like them. Um, I think the last album is a lot better sounding. So that I would have placed that as early nineties, but if that was two thousands, that's post Pro Tools and whatever becoming accessible. So that's that's considerably younger than albums like Shape of Punk to Come by The Refused. Yeah. Where the production is still to this day astonishingly good. So that's that's gotta have been a choice. They've got to have wanted to sound like that. I think I think to me there was a point in time and and some metal still does this, which is it buries the riff for the drums. That just and seems insane. A, yeah, but there seemed to be a point in in metal where that sort of that riff uh Depending on the, particularly depending on the system you listen to it, but I've I've listened to that um, that rotten sound stuff uh, on you know a very good system as well as sort of shitty earphones, and you just lose the riff. I just don't get it. And um, but there is like there was a mo- there were sort of moments of I think it's, uh, there's a sort of a sheen to a lot of modern metal production and these sort of production choices seem to go um you know people don't make big brave decisions uh, that much with the production they go with quite safe choices and you sort of follow the herd people these people you know these people these people follow the herd but uh, which is ironic for like you know um, such a rebellious the idea of such a rebellious music, but they certainly sort of there's a, a following the herd aspect to it. Sometimes, um, sometimes that herd becomes a genre in its own right, like the true cult yeah. black metal, or even like mm. bands, brand new bands are deliberately sounding muddy and shite. <laughs> well, there was there was there was, uh, there was a I can't remember what they're called, but it was like a six-piece black metal, true cult black metal, and violins and, you know, sort of cellos and stuff. I thought, wow, if that's produced well, that will sound yeah, amazing. That, on paper, you I know, want to hear that. You know, no, I think the idea was no guitars, but and all the instrumentation was orchestral with drums. Well, that sounds great. And then the recording's shit. And you go, <laughs> I don't want to listen to reinventing, the, reinventing Axl Rose play black metal. <laughs> with the same production <laughs> to bring it back to against that, me. That big snare going tonk, tonk, tonk. <laughs> oh god! Exactly. All right, so that that spans making making choices about about having kind of poor production. I I've gone the complete opposite way. There's a band called uh, the Charlatans, who pretty much the reason I started playing in bands. And the first album I absolutely loved. It was kind of sort of funky, fairly not lo-fi. It's, it's well recorded, but it was. It was just great. And then that did very, very well. And for the second album, they got in Flood to produce it. All right. And it went from this kind of slightly raw, but really like balls out, 
Hammond organs and the guitar not really doing much, but like proper, the bassist is, is like a Northern Soul or sort of Motown type bassist. So it was really cool. And then the second album, third song sounded like this. Come on. Now that's not slap bass, and that's my no, biggest that's problem. Bass. That's my biggest problem with that track. That's page one <laughs> by the Charlatans off their second album uh, between tenth and eleventh, and they've got a new guitarist, so a new guitarist in the studio. Um, but that like envelope filter on the guitar, the wow, 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 it just it's just weakening, and the organ's much lower down, and then that whatever the hell that is effect on the bass just. It's just awful. I still don't like slap bass. I still think slap bass is a waste of a thumb. Okay, we'll do an episode on slap bass then. Convince me otherwise. I'd, I'd love, love to be convinced convince otherwise. Me otherwise. So for me, that that was a band who just probably had too much budget and were, were, were playing with all the toys. It sounds to me like, uh, like a precursor to late Chili Peppers, um, like recent, you know, sort of the Chili Peppers, post-Californication Chili Peppers. And it's just, it's a bit, it's a bit. And then, you know, goes into sort of indie sounding stuff. And yeah, I just, it, it sounds like someone should have just gone to the rehearsal room and went, okay, we've got you out of that system. What's your next thing? Well, the, they they did they did go go back. Um, that's I think that's nineteen ninety one that album, so it's pretty old. But the next album was up to our hips, and it, it was that was properly stripped back. And I'm not even sure they did that many overdubs on guitars. But that was like really basic sound, and it was such a relief. It's so good because the songs the songs are so strong that they just didn't need all that that polishing and the funny little noises adding. And whatever, so so yeah, that's my my example of a band. Oh shit! All three of my examples are, are bands who have <laughs> pressed too many buttons in the studio. Let's get back to something noisy. Now, this this band, I'm really inter- really interested that you chose this next band. They are local to me, or the singer is at least, but they certainly started local. This is Cradle of Filth. Oh yeah, and this track is Desire in Violent Overture, and. I used the version you sent me, which, well, I'll, I'll, let's play it, then I'll let you explain it. Incidentally, when I click the play button, the pause is me pressing record on my browser recorder, and the, the gap is the length of time it takes me to move the mouse to tidal <laughs> and press play. It's <laughs> like a proper old man. Anyway, here we go. Come on.
Right. So I say Ipswich Band. <laughs> I'm really surprised by this. Everyone knows Cradle of Filth. Danny goes to the metal shows. He seems like a nice chap. I am really surprised at how shit that sounds because I thought they were a big band pretty much from the off. So why? what is that? Ex- explain it. I can't. I remember, so I was living in, you know, my family was living in Rome at the time. Um, that Cradle of Filth became really nice, uh, became uh, very sort of noted and quite famous, infamous, we should say, for the T-shirt, which has a slogan, Jesus is a cunt on the mm. back of it. And, they, you know, they were tramping around, I think, for a photo shoot with, for, with Kerrang around the Vatican um, with the T-shirt on. So, and, and they sort of, and then they put out this bat, this thing, Cruelty and the Beast. And I didn't really, you know, it was 1998 and reading Kerrang! And I went, oh, that probably got a great review. And I went, okay, got to get into that. This is the most extreme sort of metal that I know about. And then I got it and... Jesus, the fucking production is just so shit. I cannot listen past it. Listen to that. The guitars don't sound that bad. Um, that Danny Filth like sounds far too high in the mix. And the drums, the, but it was all about how bad the drums sound. Uh, the keyboards, the keyboards are a bit budget, a bit MIDI orchestra. Mm. Um and, you know, that sort of adds a weird, I think that adds a sort of a weird proto, that, that adds a sort of a weird claim back to sort of shit sounding goth synths in the, of the early 80s. It reminds me, of, like. it reminds me of there was a computer game I used to play on the PlayStation, I think it's called Nightmare Creatures. And the soundtrack to that was sort of metal, but had this real ee, like MIDI, MIDI keyboard sound to it. But yeah. I, I can't understand this on so many levels because, say, I'm from Ipswich and that's where they are from. And I know they spent a lot of time in there was a studio called Springvale that was run by a guy called Mark Harwood, who's a descendant of uh, Harwood Fairfax from the Civil War. And he, in terms of sound, he was genius. He's, he well, still is, he's still alive. But I don't know if they recorded it there. I know they spent a lot of time there, but. Well, it's, according. I, I got so they re-released this album with a, they remixed it. They never re-recorded the drums. They remixed it, and I think it sounds very good now. And they released it back in two thousand eighteen. So I guess the twentieth anniversary of the album. My my maths, yes, my maths are fine. Um, and it sounds good. It sounds like a like it should. But I so I got into reading an interview with Danny Filth about it, and he he claims that the drummer got into the studio and changed the drums to what he wanted it to sound like. Oh, who was Which, the drummer? I'd love to know who that... I'm going to look that up. Sorry, you, you yeah. keep talking. I want to see if it's someone I know. Sorry, so he, he, he reckons... Like, how would you not notice that? So, uh, liquefied... Uh, desire and violent overture. Desire in... I mean, this this is why you have a producer overlooking. It. Although they were sort of coming very much from the punk rock side of things, but surely, the like the record label, because it was a big record, it's like Roadrunner Records. Surely yeah, they would sort Roadrunner. of go. Why did Roadrunner yeah. not say, uh, "Excuse me"? Because they would. I, I, I'm friends. Well, I'm in a band with two people who are signed to Roadrunner. No, Roadrunner will uh, assert themselves. 
So how did that happen? Are you looking up the name as well? Uh, I'm texting my wife. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So the album's uh, Cruelty and the Beast. Cruelty and the Beast, yeah. Yep. So who played on it? I can't find it. Sorry, this one probably is not the most. Oh, drummer Nicholas Barker. I don't know who that was. There's only like so many metal drummers in East Anglia, in the south of England. Nicholas so. Barker, he's, he's amazed. He's done some amazing stuff. It's an English extreme metal best. Oh, Dimu Dimu Bagua. Yeah. Oh right, yeah, no, he's he's done plenty, hasn't he? Right, so let's let's. I just realised we're we're forty minutes in, and we've still got stuff to get through. So let's move on to. I'm going to go on to the next one of yours, which is Parade of Phantoms by Poison Ruin. Once I've found it, here we go. I pressed the button now. So, oh crapping hell! Right, before I say anything, what year is that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when was it? Um, I think it's this year. Well, no. I am... <laughs> right, I was all prepared to say this, you know, I, I've been hoping something would come up and that I was going to use what I call the Dead Kennedys production as as a, an apology for the way some records sound. Somebody told me years ago, Dead Kennedys made less money the more albums they made the production got worse which i don't know if that's true <laughs> but i i i listed bands that i wanted to include this and i took them off the list because i didn't think it was fair to to put them in the whole poor production or overreach instead like subhumans dead kennedys um oh just so many late 70s punk bands especially the british ones americans apart from dead kennedys seem to get it right so when you played that, I was immediately thinking, right, that's a goth band from the early 80s or like post-punk from the late 70s. But no, if that's that's brand new, then yeah. that's a very deliberate decision. I mean, unless they've gone and found an old four track. Well, it's that thing, it's that thing that, you know, you talk about the shit production of True Vault, um, black metal stuff. It's exactly, it's, it's sort of making it's these people who... Uh, they are worshipping at the altar of this, like the murky shit sound. Um, <laughs> we stuff. have that as a tagline for the, for the podcast. Worshipping Worship- at the altar <laughs> of murky, murky sound. shit sound. <laughs> sure, that sounds good. Um, but they're worshipping this thing. They're, they're making this sort of like, as you were saying, all these bands from sort of the late seventies and early eighties who were on a shoestring budget, and that's the sound they could afford. Mm. Oh, they! I imagine we, they left the studio going, right? That's as good as we're going to get. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and you sort of go, and you have to take that that hint. And there's bands that I have not able been able to sort of get into because of the sound of production and. That, you know, and and I don't hold that against the bands. I don't think any worse. But this is a modern band choosing to sound like a shit band from the early eighties, 
And it, and the, what's why I bring them up is because, and I wouldn't care, but they're hyped. I'm seeing them all over these sort of American punk websites going, this is like the sound. It's like, it sounds so shit. The whole band sounds shit. What the fuck? I understand not wanting to sound clean as as anything, but this is deliberately sounding shit. You know, one of the things that really turned me on to Fucked Up when they first came around is that the production on the first album, Chemistry of Modern Life, I think it was called, the first album I heard, the production was so wonderful that their, their song ideas are, I don't want to call them basic, but they're pretty straightforward, fucked up. Well, certainly that album, but the production just really made it. You know, and that this is this is this band, what they're called, Poison, Poison Rune, just the complete opposite. Right. So at the danger of this just being you and I <laughs> railing against people trying to sound shite, um, I'm gonna play one of my one of my um tracks. And oh, do you know what? I'm probably I'm going to play it, and then I'm just going to talk over it because here we go. So I'm going to talk over this because actually, let's just hear a few seconds of it. Yeah, I'm going to talk over it. So this is um, <laughs> "Breaking Into Heaven" by the Stone Roses, and it's oh, the right. first track of the second album. So whole load of legal stuff, all that nonsense. And then they got signed to Geffen for a reported fifty million pounds. And they took many, many months to record an album. Then when it came out, I can remember putting it on and we all burst into laughter. That that track that track is the only track on the second Stone Roses album, technically the third, but the second Stone Roses album, the second coming, that's got a production credit for John Leckie. So John Leckie, legendary producer. I mean, in the 90s, he was just producing all the bands I loved. And that's the only bit he produced on that because allegedly he walked off. He didn't want any, any any more to do with the album. Because if the Charlton's track I played earlier was a band being in a fancy studio and pressing all the buttons, that Stone Roses album is that beginning of an album. That 10 or 15 minutes, I think it is, of that kind of forest noise. It's just... <laughs> You know, in retrospect, perhaps it's fairly punk rock because everyone was expecting this kind of like hippie, ba- you know, baggy album like the first one was. And to start with a soundscape is is kind of interesting, I guess. But I just, no, it's just a skip, surely. <laughs> I saw, I saw, I saw Bez has written the Happy Mondays, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I saw a sort of thing when we were over in the UK. The other day, uh, describing Bez as a musical genius. Really? Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That, I need more information. He's. I always thought he was the the, the jester. The jester. Yeah, I, I always thought that was his sort of role. He was the like uh, the hype man sort of aspect. But I wanted to go back to just briefly go back to that black metal thing, and maybe this as well. It's, it's a fetish, but the black metal and poison ruin stuff is a fetishization. That's the word I was looking for. They're fetishizing, you know, sort of what was and shit sounds and this sort of idea of non commerciality um, through that through production choices. Anyway, that was just my academic mind going there. I mean, as a producer, you know, I I I am a producer and I'm a, an engineer, sound engineer. To well, I am. I'm not going to do it down. 
and I'm struggling to think of how I could make a recording sound that bad. <laughs> it must almost take more effort these days. We we used to record on little cassette tapes and they hissed and popped and that's just the way it was and your band sounded like it was recorded in another room but that's just that's just bizarre right so the next band i can't i'm not sure i can pronounce the name of this band is it to beat cadet oh to beat cadet yeah okay let's have a blast of this oh really <laughs> That step of the uh, pull out there was a bit abrupt. Um, <laughs> that, no, We're going to see them actually. Are we? Oh, yeah, we're they're playing there. Helsinki. Yes, we're going to see them at Helsinki. Yeah, Sam and I are going to Helsinki. Um, that guitar noise is is so nineties. I'm not nine. What? It's eighties, nineties. It's eighties. Yeah. All all mid, no top. No bottom, <laughs> just all mid. And yet somehow there wasn't enough space in the mix for the bass. I'm not I even sure I, I heard the bass. I chose that. I chose that. I mean, that is a mid that is a mid 80s. And I chose that more because not wanting to do them down, but it was that thing that you were talking about earlier about sort of, I get it's, it. To me, I chose that because it's the thing of, I don't, the, the band that's now called Legendary. Mm. Right. And there's a lot of 80s bands that get particularly sort of punk and hardcore bands that are called Legendary. And the production, frankly, just lets them down. Um, I want to go on a side note for this. This There's actually an interesting thing. Um, So Max Calavera and his brother Igor of the, the two of the guys who started out I think they started Sepultura, the mm. Brazilian, very famous Brazilian metal band. They have re-recorded the first two albums with modern production. Really, I never yeah, thought the production is, was that bad. It's, I, I, I they, they, re, they, I'll send you the tracks, but they have re, they've put out the first sort of lead track for the for the album Morbid Visions. It, it sounds so much. Better the voice, oh, the vocals. Man. I don't understand why the vocals are so loud, but the and you know if you have musicians that are as the caliber and have been doing the same thing as sort of Cal, um, the two Calavera brothers, there's no reason why you shouldn't re-record stuff you would like to hear better. Frankly, well, it, it's happened quite a lot in the punk world, but that's that's more rights based. So the Addicts are a band from Ipswich who they're you know they're massive band really but punk band 70s punk band and they i know scruff well i know all of them because they're from Ipswich and they just hang out <laughs> all the gigs that we go to but i spoke to scruff who was um he was the guitarist for quite a while and they'd re-recorded their first few albums and i was like why he said rights he said we, we don't haven't got enough rights over the original recording so we've just re-recorded them so the what versions that we sell at gigs and we put out are now the ones we own 100 percent of the rights to do they do? I mean, this is. A, I don't know if you can answer this question. Do they sound the same? 
Um, I I can't really say because I, I I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> because you know it's a, it's an interesting thing that there is something that sometimes if you don't you know there is this always chance of it when you re-record something that you lose the thing that made it special in the first place the the, the je ne sais quoi of whatever that recording was and you know sometimes like I'm sure some people sort of love that eighty stuff the. And and I, I was sort of interested to see what they sound like live. I don't. I quite like the song. Makes me laugh. The back. The um, it doesn't sound like a bad, particularly bad song. It just it sounds like production consequences. You know, it's the production of a time and a place, mm. you know, and a budget. Um, whereas, um, and that's the the truth of about a lot of like the underground music that we talk about, a lot of metal, a lot of the punk rock stuff that we talk about. But you know, if you, it's it's interesting, sort of like, can you can can you re-record those to a, ver- a good version and they still stand up? And you know, maybe if you can't actually m- make a a good sounding modern version of something, maybe it doesn't stand up that well. I, I think just again speaking as a as a producer, just on a mechanical level, the best albums I've been involved with, um, my the favourite albums I've played on and you know been a big part of, are albums where you don't just put down the guitar as you'd play it in the rehearsal studio. Um, the bass you always do, drums. I've done a few bits of drum overdubs over the years, especially with end times. But on the whole, the the magical things, the recordings I really enjoy, the ones where we just spent a few seconds just chucking a bit of something or other in just to augment it in some way. And I don't think if you re-record an album, you know, bands like The Addicts, they recorded the original one in the 70s, re-recorded it, it was probably about 2010 they re-recorded. So that's a lot of time to try and remember what the hell it was you did back in the studio. I mean, the first Zeeb album, one of my bands, we spent a day putting overdubs on the album that you quite deliberately that you'd only be able to hear using if you were listening on headphones, which I still really like as an idea. I think that's quite a lovely little way to augment an album. I couldn't tell you what we did. I can remember we we played we played one song on our trouser zips. <laughs> but apart from that, so yeah, re-recording an album, surely you lose the magical little bits of fairy dust that you sprinkle on it. But this, so here's this interesting idea. I was read a, I read a very interesting book um, by the Cambridge academic. I just didn't want to get this right. It's a short introduction to music uh, by he's a Cambridge academic um, Nicholas Cook, um, Professor Nicholas Cook. I'm sure, um, and he sort of a huge. He didn't talk about it explicitly, but he did talk about it. It's just, in classical music, it's all about different versions. You have, I think there's a Radio 3 program where they discuss the different versions recorded by different artists and a different, you know, orchestras and uh, conductors of the same piece of music. Whereas we live in the rock and pop world, we live in this very particular world where the singer-songwriter has the sort of, is the, and the original version of it is the authority of that version. Mm. Now... Then you have that off. Then you have that sort of weird moment. I don't, I'm not a big Bob Dylan fan, and frankly, I always think Bob Dylan sounds better when he's played by someone else. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like, which is the definitive version of um, 
uh, all along the watchtower, the Dylan version or the Jimi Hendrix version. <laughs> really, easy. Jimi Hendrix was fucking genius. I don't like Jimi. Hen- I mean, Jimi Hendrix never clicked. But <gasps> that, that version is incredible. You don't like Jimi Hendrix? I, I, I'm fine with him. He just doesn't blow me away. I think for me, some of his stuff does, but I'm, I'm I couldn't listen to a full album. That thing, no. I, undeniably, all along the Watchtower is, you know, I, that's what I mean. Moments of just sheer amazingness that hasn't been bettered. I don't think, but no, you, yeah. we ought to do an episode on. I don't think any band or musician is beyond reproach. Is that what I mean? You know, there's no such thing as perfection. Everyone does duff stuff. But also, also like sometimes you get something like there's been a few bands that sort of do covers and they do the covers really well and it's sort of like the thing they sell the album on sometimes. And frankly, sometimes those covers are as good or better than the original. I've heard some. We need to. I, I, I just reading this book just made me think. You know, in pop rock, we need to stop looking at uh, the authors of the music who have the recorded version of being like the like the uh, set in stone version and the recorded and the sort of the subsequent recorded ones just as covers it's it's a strange thing because you're completely right and that that's the pressure i felt as a performer in the studio this is has this has to be the definitive one but it doesn't really. I quite, I quite like the idea that we used to have peel sessions and and live sessions and whatever. And I always liked that you could buy them. I mean, demo sessions as B sides can fuck off because that's just that's just lazy shit. Um, but I quite, I can't remember which band it was, but about ten years ago, a band started doing a thing where when you went to a gig, you could give them money at the start of the gig. And like half an hour after the gig had finished, they'd give you a CD of that. Terrorvision used to be. Was it Terrorvision? But I think that's that's kind of a cool idea. That's pretty neat because that means automatically there are hundreds of versions of all of those songs, each with their own unique little, you know, mishits or foibles or somebody getting a bit excited and bunging some extra notes in. Speaking like a bassist there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Bassist had extra notes, no one notices. Um, yeah, no, that, that that's an interesting thing. Um, we're we're kind of running up to the hour here, so I'm going to play the last the last selection. Now, I've chosen this one because, according to legend, the band recorded a very stripped down version, and much like the sound of silence by Art Garfunkel, uh, by some that guy with the big hair and the little chimpy one. What are they called? Simon Garfield. <laughs> Simon Garfield. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Um, much like that, the record label basically came in and just slapped a load of other instrumentation over it. And the original song sounds so different. So, Sam, you'll know, you'll probably know what this is. So I'm just going to play it. And anyone who, who doesn't know who it is, I'll tell you afterwards. Here we go. It was difficult to choose a. See, 
Go on, Sam. Who is it? Oh, well, it's the replacements. I the horn. I really like the horn section, but the the the, the orchestration, the violins, completely useless. I I it was interesting because when I was prepping it for this, I realised I don't hate it as much as I used to. But is it thing, Bon Jovi, by the way? Is it Bon Jovi? <laughs> <laughs> it might as well. <laughs> yeah. I think we mentioned this on the podcast before. Uh, uh, some some replacements was ruined for me by a, a singer in my band pointing out that they can't tell the difference between Bon Jovi and the replacements. But but that that song, for one thing, it's got one of my favourite replacements lyrics: um, "Ashtray floors, dirty clothes, and filthy jokes," which I just think is a lovely little triplet. Um, no excuse me, I'm belched on the mic then. But the horns, I actually quite like now. I actually think no, they're all right. But they, those that little string bit that came in there it's just filling space just doesn't need to be there and it's just it's so trevor horn 80s production kind of quick shove something in don't leave any space you know make it make it really sweet and the replacements are a sweet band despite their protestations otherwise but yeah that strings just it just doesn't need to be there it's just wrong it's yeah it's overcomplicating it where where's the space again? Where's that sort of like because what's the it's what's the Lisa Simpson quote? It's not about the notes they're playing, it's about the note you also have to you have to listen to the notes they're not playing. Yeah, and the other guy says I could do that at home. <laughs> <laughs> you have to listen to the notes she's not playing. Yeah, I can do that at home. <laughs> but you have nicely brought things in a circle there, Sam, because you mentioned space again. And that's it. We are about out of time today. So, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, we've meandered, as is our want and as is our enjoyment. Um, I'm hoping to interview a band soon. We want we want the Beat Motel podcast to, to not just be me and Sam talking shit, um, as engaging as hopefully that is. But if you guys listening want us to cover any particular topics or speak to any particular bands, then then please do let us know. So, Sam, have you got anything you'd like to add before we press the stop button? Yeah, maybe we should send Laura Jane Grace's management an email saying, what shall we talk about? What saying, what <laughs> shall we talk about? Yeah. <laughs> on, on the Against Me podcast called yes, Beat Motel. Something else to talk about. Give us something else to talk about. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, there you go. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Sam. I will see you next time. Sam, you're going to say goodbye? Goodbye. <laughs>